There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10 and branch microfiber. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. everyone and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, retired NYPD sergeant, 27-year veteran. We're here going to talk about the Debbie Collier case. You know, there hasn't been a lot of new information coming out. And when that happens, usually there's lots of different rumors. Uh, folks on the internet start making stuff up. And however, I don't have new information from the police. But some of the things I know that they'll be looking at from my experience as a homicide investigator is they want to get those all those cell phones and the, the cell sites. And we spoke about this before earlier on. But I never believed that Debbie Collier sent that text message to her daughter from her phone, giving her, what was it, the $2,385. Uh, $2, Someone else could have had her phone, and that can be definitively traced through the cell site information. And we know one thing, uh, that the FBI did get involved. Uh, on October 6th, the FBI got involved. And federal agents said they were joining the investigation of the Vicali, whose body was found naked, burned, and dumped in the woods after she sent a cryptic text message to her daughter was a deliberate and personal act. If we believe that she sent that from her phone, and the police should know this definitively because they should be able to track the phone to her if she, in fact, sent that message and where she was at the time, if it equaled where the car was. But do we also even know who was driving her van after she had left that parking lot? A lot of things are left um, that we don't personally know because we don't have the evidence that tells us, oh, the phone was in her car and she was at this location according to the cell site hits. We don't know that. Um, the case of 59-year-old Debbie Collier's death has raised a lot of questions and gained nationwide attention, but so far authorities have not had a lot of answers as to what happened. Habersham County Deputy Chief Murray Kagad says surveillance footage shows Kalia leaving a dollar, family dollar store at 309 on the day she was reporting missing. Kalia then stayed in her van, walked in the parking lot for 10 minutes before driving off southbound on Georgia 15. Her body was discovered at 1244 on Sunday, September 11th. The case remains complex in nature and has a lot of questions and unknowns. Investigators said they do not have any evidence suggesting the incident was related to a kidnapping or suicide and are still considering the case a murder investigation. An autopsy into Collier's cause of death and a crime lab analysis of evidence found that the scene is still pending. Collier was seen buying a red reusable tote bag, a two-roll pack of toilet paper towels, top, green poncho, and a reusable lighter at the store in Clayton, Georgia, on store surveillance the day prior. Those objects were later found uphill from where her remains were discovered. Alia went missing on September 10th after reportedly sending her daughter $2,385 over the Venmo app and a cryptic message reading, they're not going to let me go, love you. you um, love you, there's a key to the house in the blue flower pot by the door. The daughter, Amanda Bearden, told police the final message with the payment scared her and that it was unusual for her mother to leave without telling anyone. She and Steve Collier, the missing woman's husband, alerted the police and filed the missing person's report. Investigators used the Sirius XM radio in Collier's rental car to track it to Highway 60, Highway 60 miles away in Clarksville, Georgia. A Habersham County K-9 unit found her remains down an embankment in the woods quarter mile from the vehicle, nude, laying on her back, gasping, excuse me, grasping a small tree with her right hand, according to the incident report. 
The FBI Atlanta office said agents have been asked to join in the investigation. I find this, you know, one of the things that we need as folks that have been following this case, of course, is we need the results of the toxicology and of the autopsy. We don't even know a cause of death right now. And we don't specifically know her manner of death because the police made the call um, that they believe it's a homicide. However, that call is usually left to the coroner and the ME's office with the assistance of the police. We don't specifically know her injuries. What we were told was that she had uh, some burn marks on her abdomen and it looked like she was she was burnt in a fire. Um, I'm hearing some people in the chat saying the police and, or someone saying this potentially could be a suicide. I, I don't see it. I don't see someone going to a strange place in the woods, taking their clothes off and starting a fire on their abdomen. I just, that's uh, beyond my comprehension behind what I, what I would expect to see if it was in fact a suicide. In the crime scene, you know, there was also a, uh, a live round. It looked like it was from like a 30-30 rifle. And I don't know specifically the caliber, but it looked like it came from a rifle. Could she have been shot? She could. We don't know. The information has not come out yet. They haven't told us her cause or specifically her manner of death. Um, this is a, you know, this always becomes a mystery. It becomes a mystery when information is not forthcoming. And But I think it was important for the Habersham County Police, the sheriffs, to enlist the help of the FBI, if only for the resources that they bring besides the experience and investigations and the agents they bring to the case. Uh, I think it was, and they did. As of October 6th, they enlisted the help of the FBI. This will surely help in the investigation. I'm just, re, you know, reviewing the case because this has been a month and a half ago. And there's really not been any new information from, forthcoming from the police. And that's not unusual because now they partnered up with the FBI. And the FBI, they're famous for not releasing information in an investigation. So, you know, I, if I do review some stuff that you've seen before, that's because this case isn't fresh in our minds right now. And I think it's important to refresh our memories. And I'll play some of the news uh, reporters here. This case over the last several weeks, this was the first opportunity for reporters to go face to face on the record with investigators. What happened to Debbie Collier found partially nude and burned on the side of this road. According to investigators, it's clear. We have not changed our thoughts about this being a homicide. We believe that this act was deliberate and personal. There is no information or evidence to this point that shows that this was something random, that there was something that was out, that was not uh, from somebody that she either knew or somebody who she had uh, some association with. So they must trace Collier's steps. This is a new snapshot from the day before her body was discovered. Her vehicle traveling northbound on Georgia 15 on September 10th around 2.15 p.m. in the direction of the Clayton Family Dollar, the place she was last seen alive. You can see her buying various items around 3 that afternoon. Investigators have new video of her walking out of the store back to her car. And found that she stayed in that parking lot an additional 10 minutes. From that 10 minutes at 3.19 p.m., she leaves the parking lot and begins to head southbound on Georgia 15. Keep in mind, this is around the same time Collier's daughter, Amanda Bearden, says she received a Venmo payment and a note from her mother saying, quote, they are not going to let me go. Love you. We're still waiting more information that we have requested to confirm or deny where, where the Venmo was sent from, but we can confirm that it, Amanda did receive the Venmo. I'll tell you straight up, Right here, as far as this investigation goes, it seems like once we get on track with something, like a curveball comes in out of nowhere. Again, we may be several weeks away from learning autopsy results. So investigators say this case is a marathon, not a race. In Clarksville, Kevin Stewart, Fox 5 News.
There have been twists and turns in this case. We want to break down the timeline for you. Collier was first reported missing September 10th. That's the day she was seen buying items, including a blue tarp, a red tote bag, paper towels, a torch lighter, and poncho from a family dollar. Her last known communication was sending her daughter more than two grand on Venmo with a cryptic message. Her body was found a day later with the items she bought the day before. Three days later, on September 14th, deputies served a search warrant at Collier's daughter's home. A week later, the sheriff's office reveals that investigators have found no evidence of either a suicide or a kidnapping. And today, investigators say her death is, quote, deliberate and personal. You know, folks, um, uh, hang on a second. That's, you know, when they talked about it early on in the investigation, that this case was both deliberate and personal. That's, you know, that's the police making a call early on. Did they change their posture to this? I don't see suicide in this. First of all, when you investigate a suicide, one of the main things you want to see is the mental, um, the mental condition of the person who you think committed suicide. Was she, why was she suicidal? You know, um, was she underneath, was she under the a doctor's care for mental health reasons? Was she depressed? Um, and of course, on the scene, what caused her death? Was the weapon of suicide left on the scene? Like we don't, and very, for someone to go to a location that's foreign to them and strip naked and kill themselves, I, I don't buy that whatsoever. I just don't. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, you, you gotta, you'd have to prove that one to me. Ron Shindell, Inspector Ronald Shindell, thank you so much for the 499 stupid sticker. Always great to have you aboard. Folks, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up. All right, it's free to subscribe. Give us a thumbs up. And if you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel membership with five different uh, levels, so you can support us that way. Folks, anyone in the chat that's really thinking that this is um, is a suicide, I mean, I'm, I'm not getting it. I'm not feeling that, you know? And I said, um, of course, some of the information we, as people following this case and folks following the real crime stories here, we know a lot about where she was driving. There's video of her driving on a highway. We know that she stopped at that dollar store. And now there was new information that she stopped at a Chick-fil-A. But none of these things equaled any type of um, foul play whatsoever. And this, she, this, what's baffling to us as outsiders looking in is that she had no relationship with this area. Like, what was she doing in this area? There's a question I'd like answered. Could the police and the FBI know right now what she was doing in this area? Absolutely. We don't know yet, right? We don't know. We can just conjecture. We can just, as I say, hypothesize and theorize. Or if you listen to Phil Grimaldi, he says we can spitball about it and give reasons why we think she was in this area. New surveillance video showing Debbie Collier alone in a parking lot when her daughter says she sent her a Venmo payment and a text saying they won't let me go. Now, this video is just adding to the mystery of this homicide out of Hampersham County. 11 Alive's Cody Alcorn has been digging into this case and has new details tonight. Cody. Yeah, we now have the 911 calls made just hours before Debbie Collier's body was found. Plus, a new report shows detectives spent hours executing a search warrant at her daughter's home in Athens. 24 hours before Debbie Collier's body was found on September 11th in Habersham County, new video from outside a family dollar store in Clayton, Georgia, adds to the mystery. Detectives say you see her black Chrysler Pacifico pull in. She goes in the store just before three. They say Collier appeared to be alone and calm. Cameras inside capture her buying items. At 3.17 p.m., while Collier is still at the store, her daughter, Amanda Bearden, says her mom sent her a Venmo payment for almost $2,400 and a text saying, they won't let me go. 
Detectives say at 3.19 p.m., Collier pulls out of the parking lot. Three hours later, her husband reports her missing in Athens. Um, hi, um, my name is Amanda Bearden, and um, I saw a missing persons report on my mother last night. Uh-huh. Uh, yesterday. Records show Collier's daughter Amanda called Athens Clark 911 at 8.30 a.m. the next day. Bearden asking if detectives could trace the GPS in her mom's van. Um, um, I, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck here or anything, but do I need to hire a private detective, maybe? Three hours later, Collier's sister, who lives in Alabama, calls the 911 center. She tells the dispatcher Bearden told her Collier was missing. All right. We're just not getting information so I'm, I'm just yeah I'm, I'm just I'm really worried about my sister an hour later Collier's rental vans found off a logging road in Clarksville her partially burned body found several hundred yards away along with the items she was seen buying at the store the sheriff's office hasn't named a suspect nor arrested anyone in her death 11 Alive obtained reports showing on September 14th detectives spent six hours executing a search warrant at a home Collier's daughter, Amanda, shared with her boyfriend. So many unanswered questions. This case is complex, no doubt. We have been covering it since the beginning. Head to 11alive.com, watch surveillance, listen to the latest news conference, and read more about that mysterious Venmo payment and cryptic text. You know, folks, I know that we're covering some information that we've covered already, but that's what you do in real homicide cases. When you don't know exactly which direction you're going, and I'm not accusing the police of not having a direction, potentially they do have a direction. But there's always times where you start and stop and start over. If, you, if you're not getting anywhere, you review the case again, you go over it. You look at the case, you reread the DD5s, which are the complaint follow-ups, and you determine, is there something we're missing? Sometimes you have someone else read the case and sit with some fresh eyes and a fresh perspective. And in this case, are they missing something? I said early on, the key to this case should be the phones, should be the cell phones. Where were these phones when she allegedly sent that Venmo payment to her daughter, where exactly was that phone? Do we know that she was in that van by herself? No, we don't. We saw her get out of it, right? And she appeared to be calm. And even when she went into the dollar store, she appeared to be very calm. But do we know that she was alone in that van? No, we don't. We don't know that. But we do know that she was calm. And so a big, the million-dollar question is, who sent that Venmo to her daughter? Did she, in fact, do it? And it came out of her account. It went, we know that it went into her daughter's account. All of that stuff is easily, easily trackable. So we're, we're all waiting to know some of this information, this evidentiary information that we're not hearing right now. We're not, we're not getting this yet from the police. But, you know, when the police early on basically said this is, uh, you know, like an up-close-and-personal case, that someone close to her did this. That's what they implied. Did they change their mind on that? You know, I think statistically, and you can check this stat, anywhere from 70 to 80% of the time in a homicide case, the, the, the killer and the victim are known to each other. Scary, right? Yeah, the victim and the killer are known to each other. So that's why I think the police in this case said, you know, this is a, you know, like an up close and personal uh, type case. Uh, and, and they were thinking that it was no, it wasn't going to be a mystery. Like they, they it seemed like they thought, they were going to solve this rather quickly. Look, early on, the very early uh, part of this investigation, they served the warrant on Amanda Bearden's, uh, on her house, right? They did a search warrant. So they obviously considered her to be a suspect that they 
that's her and um, Amanda Bearden and her boyfriend, the uh, alleged um, MMA fighter. He doesn't look like a fighter to me. But um, obviously, Amanda doesn't look like she's all that um, all that healthy. You know, I don't know. Allegedly, she's got some problems. So she immediately became a suspect, as in almost any homicide investigation, do you look at the family, the people closest, uh, closest to the victim? And, and she, they, they did a search warrant on the house, right? Um, Lenny Pellich, Amanda is really putting out red flags. Absolutely, absolutely. But you know something? We had that very early on that she and her boyfriend potentially were suspect numero uno and numero dos. But since then, we haven't heard a lot about this. Now, some of the other, um, Cody versus everyone, definitely not a suicide, and it doesn't sound like a random crime. They need to find out why she went to that area, which was far away from her home. Cody, I agree with you. I really agree with you. Uh, K.H. Walker, all fingers point to the daughter. Uh Coachella, I still say the guy who was on patrol who hit Debbie's car at some point before this and told her he was not supposed to be driving, so don't report the police, and she did not report it. He'll pay back, in my opinion. Coachella, that's a, a good opinion. However, I would think that the police would have grabbed him early on and checked his alibi for that day, and probably it's very easy to eliminate someone like that. So we're not hearing about him, and we're not hearing about him as a person of interest. So I would say that he was probably eliminated early on in the investigation based on a solid alibi. Solid alibi being, say, at work or being someone, being somewhere that other people saw him and they could verify that he was where he said he was. Um, um, Dragonfly Lady, Bill, why, in your opinion, would law enforcement have brought in the FBI? Dragonfly Lady, great question. And in my opinion, they needed the ex the expertise of the FBI, specifically with the phone work. I told you guys when I did this case a while ago, phone work is not free. If you want to do a search on a phone, these cell phone carriers do not do that for law enforcement for free. I would imagine it's anywhere from $1,000 to $1,500 a day. And in, in regards to cell site dumps, so cell site searches, that's even more expensive. So guess what? They bring the FBI in. Who, who do you think pays for these cell phone searches? The feds. Maybe they brought them in, A, for their expertise, and B, for their resources, for their money. Because it costs a little police department like Habersham. It costs a fortune, an investigation like this. So um, bring in bring in the FBI. And that's my opinion why they did. Um, Gladys DePizzo, there's always something that might pop out after looking over again and again. Gladys 100%. Uh, Thomas Jordan, thank you. For, folks, you know, uh, when you go on that YouTube and you subscribe, give us that thumbs up. Ring that bell. Give us a little smiley face, whatever you want to do. True Crime with Shannon. Hello, how are you? Good to see you, True Crime with Shannon. Um, nice biscuit. Hi, everyone. Late notifications again. <laughs> um Look, uh, British Chippy, Bill, have you heard? Uh, I have, I'm going to play the, some of the 911 calls. Um, look, I, there's, because she had a previous call into 911, yeah, could that be something? Yeah, it could be. Uh, could it be nothing? Yes, it could be nothing. So all of those things must be investigated by the police. You know, the police do investigations, A, to eliminate, and B, to include, all right? So a lot of times uh, in investigations, you spend a hell of a lot of your time, um, a hell of a lot of your time eliminating things. And that's part of investigation. LJ, do you think Debbie was possibly having an affair? Look, anything is possible. You have to go into these investigations with an open mind. And, you know, the, the expression I always used to hate, but it's so true. Sometimes you have to think outside the box. Don't think that narrow vision. Have that wide vision. And the investigation starts out here. And as you start coming in, 
potentially on a suspect, you bring it in. You bring it in closer, you know. But I think early on, you know, the Havisham police were focused, very much focused on uh, Amanda and her boyfriend. And now we're not hearing anything. We're not hearing who they're focused on. I'm going to play a little bit of the, again, to bring us back to where we were earlier, just to give us a little sort of review on on the case and and, and what we were watching and what, what we were told early on in the investigation, because there really hasn't been anything new that's going to be like smoking gun information. On behalf of Sheriff Joey Terrell, I want to welcome you. Uh, to begin with, I'd like to give you a brief synopsis of where we are to date on the investigation. Uh, the results of the autopsy are still pending. The results regarding the analysis of the items we've submitted to the crime lab are still pending. We are now just beginning to get responses to the search warrants and the subpoenas in the case to date. We can tell you that we have received additional footage from a security camera from a business near the family dollar store. That additional footage shows us that Deborah Collier walked out of the family dollar store at 309, got into her van and remained in her van in the parking lot for 10 minutes before leaving the parking lot and heading south on Georgia 15, Highway 441, US 23. This tells us that the time frame is actually narrowed a little further to for the, this case to begin at 319 p.m. on Saturday, September 10th, and ending at 12.44, Sunday, September 11th, the time of the discovery. Please understand that this case is very complex in nature and has a lot of questions and unknowns that aren't found in a typical death investigation. It is going to take significantly more time than the 19 days that have passed since the discovery to solve this crime. We uh, also want you to know that we are working diligently to solve this case. We are trying to obtain as much information as possible so that we can put together facts and evidence to support a motive and also to identify a person or persons of interest. At this time, I'd like to call up lead investigator George Kaysen to assist with answering the questions that you may have. First of all, I want to thank everyone for being here, uh, being part of this. Hopefully we'll be able to answer some questions uh, and give y'all some insight um, of where we're at and kind of what we're dealing with. First off, I want to start off by saying we have got, received a lot of questions that y'all have sent in. Uh, some of these questions, the information that is pertaining to those questions is very sensitive information. We will try to answer answer them to the best that we can, but there will be information that we need to retain just for the simple fact of it being very sensitive and we, we don't want our potential persons of, or persons of interest to be able to get a hold of this information. Um, just so that way it does not jeopardize the furtherment of our investigation. <clears throat> as far as some of these questions that were asked, uh, I'm going to kind of go through a list of them and try to give answers as best as possible to you. Uh, one of the first questions that was asked is, can you confirm the Venmo message from the daughter, uh, from mom to daughter was sent to mom's phone? We're still waiting more information that we have requested to confirm or deny where, where the Venmo was sent from, but we can confirm that Amanda did receive the Venmo. She did receive money. Um, that much we do know right now. Uh, continuing on. See, they could confirm that Amanda received it, but they couldn't confirm that Debbie's phone sent it, at least at this point. I'm sure they, they should know that by now. But at this point, they, they did not know that. Our uh, next question was, are you in possession of uh, Collier's cell phone and where was it found? Yes, we are in possession of that cell phone. We do have it in evidence and it was located at the crime scene. Uh, the next question that was asked was, what was Collier's cause of death? And as Colonel Kogod mentioned, we are still awaiting the full report from the medical examiner's office. 
once that comes in, we will absolutely update everyone on those findings. And it's uh, October 25th, and we are still waiting for the autopsy information as well as the toxicology. So even though this was this interview was three weeks ago, we still don't know the results of the autopsy. That will tell us a lot of things. Um, what records and data have we analyzed? Due to that being a sensitive, uh, that being sensitive information, much as the disclaimer that I gave um, when I first stepped up here, um, we don't want to reveal any information that could possibly be a potential or potentially jeopardize our investigation where our suspects will get that information. Um, you know, it's clear that back three weeks ago, they had suspects in their mind. And I believe it was Amanda and her boyfriend. He was the, uh, they were both suspects, Amanda and Andrew Gigirich, the MMA fighter. They were, they, he right out said they don't want the suspects. So they had, you know, what they use, they love to use that term persons of interest as well as three, three weeks ago. However, we don't, we don't know now. They haven't spoken. They haven't given a press conference. And again, we're waiting for the autopsy and the toxicology. So, so important. There was a question about Deborah's phone records. We have served multiple search warrants on multiple different cell phone carriers. Um, we are working with them to get all pertinent data um, from those devices and from those carriers. So hopefully we'll be able to develop more of a timeline, a better timeline and hopefully be able to find out more information about what exactly happened. Um, inclusion of family members, a, a, a question was related to that, <clears throat> is that um, right now we have not ruled anyone out at this point. Um, we have ever developing leads and are gradually having information that we have requested come in. So we're still in the process of trying to find persons or person of interest uh, and as that information starts to trickle in, it will actually help us develop uh, more information for y'all to have. We're continuing to investigate um, Deb's activities from September 10th through the September 11th, um, which is also going back to the timeline. Uh, we're gradually just getting more information in. We want to know just as much as anyone else does, and we're working as Colonel Kogod said, we're working diligently. We've lost a lot of sleep as such as such should be um, in this investigation. Um, we've devoted a lot of time to this investigation. Um, there was a question about what search warrants have been executed. Um, as far as the search warrants that we have done, again, we cannot give that information out just for the simple fact that it may jeopardize and give the information um, British Chippy, she asked a question, a very good question. Bill, what are the factors that contribute to the length of time it takes to carry out an autopsy and then divulge the information? Well, uh, the coroner or the ME may just not want to release the information yet with um, conferral with the police, with the investigators. They may want that. They may have the information and they may just not be releasing it. The other possibility is that they're doing, maybe they couldn't determine cause of death, which can happen. And they're waiting to do and perform more tests. That's a distinct possibility also. So it's, um, it's two things. The police and the ME don't want to release the information because of the ends of justice could be defeated by doing so or the cause of death is not, has not been able to be determined through the autopsy. And they could be doing uh, additional tests, additional toxicology to try to figure that out. Uh, good, good question, British Chippy. Thanks for the question. Information out to possible potential persons of interest. And we don't want to basically show our hand before we have facts. Um, we and as Colonel Kogod said, um, a couple other questions um, that were 
kind of obtained as far as Deborah's timeline. We have uh, obtained additional footage for, from the parking lot, as he described, where she is in her 2022 Chrysler Pacifica van in the parking lot of the Family Dollar, um, which is obviously joined by other businesses. We've obtained additional footage um, and found that she stayed in that parking lot an additional 10 minutes. From that 10 minutes at 3.19 p.m., she leaves the parking lot and begins to head southbound on Georgia 15 which is the main highway, the four-lane highway that connects Raven County to Habersham. She starts traveling southbound towards Tallulah Falls, which is just inside Habersham County. Um, we are still in the process of trying to obtain videos from other locations and other businesses along that route, and we encourage any business along that route that might have cameras, please reach out to us. Um, look through your video cameras and reach out to us that way we can ha have a meeting with you and see if we can kind of even narrow down our timeline even more. Um, and as far as the timeline, the last time we know that she was alive was at 319. Because we see her in that vehicle leaving the parking lot, heading southbound on Georgia 15. Um, there was a question about our thoughts of this being a homicide. We have not changed our thoughts about this being a homicide. Um, we're still treating this as a murder investigation and we will not change that. Um, we will diligently and continuously work day and night trying to solve this case and try to bring justice to Ms. Collier and her family. Um, a lot of the questions we got are kind of repeat. So if I do repeat some of these answers, I do apologize, but I'm trying to go through and trying to hit every question that was given to us. Uh, we're, uh, again, going back to the cell phone providers and search warrants we've done. We're working with multiple different cell phone providers to obtain necessary information. Um, all we know right now, um, as far as the Venmo message, is that, yes, it was sent to Amanda. Uh, there was a question in there as far as do we know where the money is now? No, we don't. For the simple fact that we are still obtaining information when it was sent, where it was sent, what device it was sent from. We're still uh, trying to obtain that information right now. So three weeks ago, they had no idea what device that, uh, that Venmo was sent from. They had no idea. They didn't know. And... They were still waiting on cell phone records and cell site information. And then October 6th, uh, they brought, which was three weeks ago, they brought the FBI in, which we were calling, myself and Phil Grimaldi, were calling early on uh, for the FBI to bring the FBI in. Because, look, it would be different if this was a large police department that all, had all kinds of resources, had all kinds of personnel. I believe uh, Habersham is, is a relatively small department and they could use the assistance and the resources of the FBI. And that's, uh, we were, we were happy to hear that they did, they did that. The other thing guys that we were not talking about right now, and we really need to is the crime scene. And there was a lot of controversy with this crime scene, as you recall. What's the results of the processing of the evidence? What did they collect? What tests did they perform on the items that they collected? You know, uh, with this, with the autopsy uh, of Debbie Collier, every body, if it's a homicide, they're supposed to scrape underneath the fingernails in case there was a struggle that the deceased fought with the killer. And potentially there could be DNA underneath the fingernails. They're also in, in a homicide, there should be a rape kit done. So all of those things we don't know yet because they, they haven't released. And of course, the toxicology. Was there alcohol? Was there drugs involved? Was there poison involved? Uh, what was the cause of death? You know, was it, was it asphyxia? You know, was it a strangulation? Uh, if that was the case, then the medical legal investigators that responded to the scene 
would have checked the eyes for something called petechial hemorrhaging, which is broken blood vessels in the white part of the eyes. So that would be the first part of the investigation from the medical legal investigators. You guys watch Duty Ron's show and uh, Barbara Butcher. She was one of the best uh, medical legal investigators probably in the country. And she was the chief of staff for the New York City Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. All those tests would be taken on the scene as well as uh, looking at the lividity of the body. Lividity is the pooling of blood to the dependent parts of the body. So if if you see someone that uh, that has lividity uh, on the front part of their body, that usually means they were killed laying face down. And the reverse is true also. If there's lividity on their back, that means when they were killed, they were laying on their back. And lividity can look like an extreme sunburn because it's blood pooling to that side of the body. Lividity can also appear in other parts of the body, uh, you know, the arm, the hands, depending where the dependent blood, the gravity is bringing that blood. So those things tell uh, a crime scene investigator, they tell them part of the story. Now, the investigation, the evidence that was on that scene, we don't know what they collected. Remember, everyone got pissed off when this occurred because they left the crime scene a mess. There was gloves left on the scene. Uh, there was um, uh, there was you know garbage left on the scene, and uh, people were upset. They were like, "Oh, you know, if this goes to trial, uh, the, the the police are going to be made to look stupid because they didn't clean up the crime scene afterwards." And uh, I think Ed Wallace and Duty Ron and myself, we said, "Yeah, that's not a good look." That is not a good look to have that because it it screams out a lack of professionalism. And um, we, um, you know, we said that, again, if someone's arrested down the road and they show that video or the still photos from that crime scene, they will, you know, they'll give the investigating officer or the arresting officer a hard time about the crime scene and they'll build what they need to get someone off the, you know, the prosecution has to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt. And it's the defense's job to create doubt. All right. So that, that is one of the things that could create doubt. I'm going to play a little bit of the, um, the 9-11 calls just to bring us back to, uh, you know, that, that day more than what I guess now, uh, it, this all started on September 10th. Right. So, it's like a month and a half, at least a month and a half. So I want to play a little bit of uh, the 911 calls and to, to, to bring us back to, the, to that day and what was occurring. Yes. Uh, came on, my wife was at home, her driver's license still in there, the rental car's gone, and her daughter's here, and we were kind of worried about what's happening and where she's at. I was wondering if you could send somebody over here. Does she have any medical issue? Does she have like Alzheimer's or something like that? Uh, no, no, she's uh, 59 years old. No, she has no medical issues or something like that. And according to her daughter who went up and uh, her purse is still here with her driver's license. The only thing is the phone is gone and she sent her daughter a text about two hours ago saying they won't let me go. Whatever that means, we don't know. And I've been gone all day parking cars for the football game and all, and that's where we're at. Daughter is text message saying that they my stepdaughter stepdaughter that they won't let her go. Yeah, they got she's got a text message saying that. And it come from her number, right? What what is um what's your name, sir? Steve Collier. What your last name for me? C O L L I E R. And your wife's name? Deb Deborah Debora. Uh, we call it Debbie, but it's D E B O R R A H. Same last name? Collier, yes. How old is she? Is that 59? 59. She just turned 59. You just Thank returned you. home, right? Pardon me? You just returned home, right? Yes, I just returned home. I was parking cars uh, until about 4.30, and when I came back, to the van that she had rented because the car was in the shop, uh, 
was gone. I figured she was shopping for food. Okay. So, you, so and her car is there? Pardon me? Her, her, her van's not here. Okay. But her driver's license and what else is there? Right. Home? Yeah, her driver's license is here. What else did she leave? For the purse or anything else? Uh, yeah, she left her purse. And her credit cards are here. You know, one of the things they said, folks, that was, uh, they said she left her purse, but they, we clearly saw her purse when she entered the dollar store. So is it the fact that she had numerous purses or what was going on with that, that she had left her purse? But when we saw her walk into the dollar store in that video, it was clear that she had it with her. So, you know, not, not that it's a huge mystery. I mean, I mean, I think most women have multiple purses. Uh, maybe they weren't aware that she took a different purse or whatever. But uh, that's the gist of the 911 call that, that the husband made. And I think later on we hear um, we, we hear the, the daughter, uh, the Amanda. Um, she was seen. Uh, well, I left at 9 o'clock. She was still sleeping. So... Last night, I mean, she was went to bed last night, and I left, and the van was here. So, is your stepdaughter there, though? I mean, did she did she see her today? Pardon me. Did your stepdaughter see her today? Pardon me. You say a stepdaughter? Did she see her, or say that again? I'm trying to control a dog. Okay, your, your stepdaughter, did she see her? Um, no, no, nobody has seen her. Uh, I was probably the last person to see her last night. What time? Is that 9 o'clock last night? Yeah, by 9 o'clock we went to bed. What time was the message sent to your stepdaughter? Uh, what, what time? About two hours ago? About two hours ago? Yes. And it specifically said they won't let me go. Or, yeah, that's what the message said. And is that that's all it said, right? That's all it said. And she was last seen driving or she was driving her. What kind of car is that? It's uh I don't know because her car's in the shop, so uh, uh, the rental place on uh, the van that she was driving—is that what she'd be in, or you don't know? No, I don't know. It's uh, Enterprise. She went a car for Enterprise at the Pacifica or something. That's the car you saw this morning, though, right? Yeah, the black van. Yeah, the black Pacifica. Yes, I'm pretty sure it's Pacifica. And that's a rental car? Yes, from Enterprise. All right, I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> what's her uh, What's her birthday? Deborah. D-E-B-B-I-E, or oh, her, her given her, name is Deborah. D-E-B-O-R-R-A-H. Her birthday? Is she white, female, black, female? Or me? She white or black? White. How tall is she? Uh, about five five. How much she weigh? About one hundred and fifty. One forty-five somewhere around there. What color hair? Uh, blondish. Would she be going to somebody's house or? That's a good question. I thought she was out shopping for food. Her daughter came over with that strange message and then went upstairs to her bedroom and found out that uh, uh, her driver's license and credit card still here. So that doesn't sound like her leaving the house uh, to go shopping like I thought she was. She usually shopped for food on Saturday. So she don't have any money at all with her or any other car? Not to our knowledge. She has nothing. But she, is our purse there? Yes. She left the purse as well? Yes. 
folks, you know, they have a, a long 911 call by the husband. Some of the information, it seems like it was incorrect because she obviously had to have a, a credit card or a bank card in order to send that Venmo. But he's saying her purse is here and she doesn't have a credit card with her. So some of that information, was it purposely or just does he just not know the information? You know, does he just not know that she had several pocketbooks? Maybe she had numerous credit cards and she sent that Venmo. And I mean, I would think the 911 caller would get a little more excited about the fact that, you know, she gave a, a, a message that she almost like it was a kidnapping. seems like he was taking a lot of time to get that information after he heard something that was potentially a, an emergency, a real emergency. Like, let's, let's get on top of this. Uh, she's saying she's being held against her will, you know, and he's just, uh, how tall is she? How much does she weigh? You know, uh, you know, he, it doesn't seem like he gets a, a full name and date of birth out there, which is probably the most important thing because if the police are going to run records checks on her, run a license check, run a complaint check. See, some of those things that um, the police do records checks on a victim like her, of course, we would do a DMV check to find out her driving history, cause that she owns, that type of thing. We would do a complaint check to see if she's filed any complaints uh, in the recent history, because it could potentially she could have filed uh, a complaint against her daughter or her daughter's uh, her daughter's boyfriend, and that's that's important in this investigation. Andrew Gigerich, Amanda Bearden, if there was a complaint report filed against them, isn't that uh, important to the investigation? Yeah, absolutely. So that's why, you know, the 911 caller should have, if he's going to get all that information, he should get her name, address, and date of birth, which is, you know, the identifier for most people. Uh, it seems like he was wasting a lot of time here. Um, uh, PB&J, Trish, you know what I was saying? What about Steve's daughter, the black truck soaking the block and through the parking lot has me stumped too because Steve is a black and we're catching, or are they catching her in an affair? You know, the, the the stuff that a lot is being suggested by a lot of you guys, it's a possibility. Could she have been having an affair? Yeah, we cannot eliminate anything. First of all, though, we only know half of the story, if that. We may only know 30% of the story. You know, uh, we don't have all the information that the police have. We haven't interviewed people. We haven't interrogated people. We don't know the results of the interviews with Amanda or, or, or with or with her boyfriend, uh, Andrew. What were the results? Are they still cooperating or did they lawyer up? We don't know any of that stuff, do we? All that is so pertinent to this investigation, you know? Folks, this is Police Off the, Con uh, Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up and ring that bell. If you wanna support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. We also have a YouTube channel membership. You see the folks in the chat with the green font. They're part of our YouTube family, and uh, we appreciate them. They support us, and they really uh, help us to put this show out all the time, and um, we really appreciate these folks. You know, folks, if you're in New York, the New York metropolitan area, and you need a good defense attorney, then Joe Murray is your man. Retired NYPD police officer, outstanding defense attorney, hell of a nice guy too. You can reach him on cell phone, 718-514-3855 or email him at joe at jmurray-law.com. His website is jmurray-law.com. We can attest to the fact that Joe's a fantastic defense attorney and he's a frequent guest on the show as, a, as well as a huge supporter uh, of this show. Um, uh, someone was just asking, what time was that 9-11 uh, uh, call? I believe it was after 4.30 because he had indicated that he just got off of work parking cars for the football game. So I don't have the exact time, but it was right around 4.30, I believe it was. Uh, PB&J, they won't let me go, could also be uh, DC gave a, a work excuse to not have to help her daughter move back to her house with Andrew. Fed up? Yeah, maybe, maybe. The daughter doesn't seem like she's um, wrapped too tight, you know? 
But in homicide investigations, we, you know, we spoke, well, Duty Ron and, uh, you know, and I like to refer to Duty Ron and Ed Wallace because they have the tightest show and the former police, former NYPD, both detectives. Uh, Ed Wallace, an outstanding crime scene detective. He spoke a lot about the forensic evidence at the scene, and that's what we need. You know, sometimes when all else fails, the forensic evidence can be a slam dunk and put you in the right location, put you and give you that smoking gun that you need. We don't know what was uh, invoiced. We don't know what tests were performed on Debbie Collier's body. Uh, we don't know what forensic evidence was taken and vouched and tested from the scene. Again, so, so important, such important information. Uh, again, but we're not privy to it right now. So um, we want to know. We want to know because that's the things in conjunction with all of the other uh, investigative checks. I also want to, I want financials done on Debbie Collier. I want a financial done on the husband. I want a financial done on Amanda. And I want a financial done on um, Andrew because that information can tell you a lot. Let's see how much money they have or don't have. Let's see what money has been moved around in accounts. Did someone owe someone a lot of money? What type of life insurance did Debbie Collier have? Did she have a huge life insurance policy? That could come into play. All of that stuff is done through the district attorney, subpoena power. You have to get all these records. These records and getting these records and um, using them in an investigative fashion takes a lot of time, takes a lot of um, takes a lot of uh, experience, takes a lot of um, know-how, and you need a district attorney uh, working in conjunction with the detectives to do that. And those are some of the things that should be done on this case. And it's we again, will we be privy to that? No, we won't be privy to that. But that's some of the things that need to be done in this investigation. New developments in the mysterious death of an Athens woman in Habersham County. Video was has surfaced of Debbie Collier at a Clayton business the day before investigators found her body miles away from the store. Fox 5's Kevin Stewart has the video, and he is live from Habersham County's Sheriff's Department with more details. Yeah, Christine, uh, investigators are calling this case complex, and certainly they have a lot more to do, but this new revelation video is clearing some things up. This is Debbie Collier walking into a family dollar in Clayton, Georgia on Saturday, September 10th. It's just before 3 p.m., only hours before Collier's husband reported her missing. In this security camera video, you can see her picking up several things, including a rain poncho, a tarp, paper towels, and a torch lighter. The Habersham County Sheriff's Department says this clue is crucial. A spokesman tells Fox 5 News, all of those items were found here at the crime scene the next day, next to Collier's nude body with burn marks on it. They didn't know how they got there, now they do. Also, they now know Collier was still alive at three that afternoon. But here's the added twist. In a statement, investigators say over the weekend, Collier's daughter, Amanda Bearden, told them she was at the Clayton Family Dollar that Saturday. A review of security video and interviews so far hasn't backed that claim up. And we have been trying to reach uh, Ms. Bearden all day, but have been unsuccessful. We came here to the Sheriff's Department uh, scheduled to get an interview, uh, but they decided that they're going to hold off until later in the week to do on-camera interviews. And of course, we will be there and have those latest developments. But for now, we are live in Clarksville at the Habersham, uh, Habersham County Sheriff's Department. Kevin Stewart, Fox 5 News. Wow. So, folks, that's where they were, you know, and... I'm, the reason I'm going back is because it doesn't seem like they've progressed that far from where they were three weeks ago, five weeks ago, six weeks ago. Although, and again, we don't have all the information that the police have. We don't know what the results are of all the, the cell phone data and the, uh, the results of the uh, FBI getting involved. Folks, I just want to say that as soon as we get new information on this case. I'm going to bring it right to you. I'm fascinated with this case also. 
I wish I had more new information to tell you. But there's been some new video. There was some video of her going into a Chick-fil-A. And um, the, I'm sure the investigators have collected that. Does that, what does that mean? Or does it mean anything? Uh, right now, we don't know. There's not a bit of what we consider to be smoking gun information. We also haven't heard them use the term person of interest anymore. So that's something that uh, we're all concerned with. And we're going to all follow this case because it's important. And uh, it really is at this point a whodunit. You know, it seemed very simple right in the beginning. It seemed Amanda Beard and, and you know, a boyfriend, the suspect one and two, and the police focused on that also. But right now, we're not 100% sure where is it pointing towards. Or are they still suspect number one and number two, but the investigators don't have the proof, the evidence to make an arrest on this. Folks, thank you so much for listening this afternoon. Have a great day. I'm Bill Cannon from Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Have a great day and God bless. One episode, just ain't enough.